Last month, CNN Tonight News anchor Don Lemon got into hot water for saying the following. He said, Jesus Christ, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was here on earth. So why are we deifying the founders of this country, many of whom owned slaves? Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect? I'm not even sure what point uh, Lemon was making with this comparison. For example, it would make sense if he had said, don't worship the founding fathers. Unlike Jesus, whom Christians do worship, the founding fathers weren't perfect. But obviously, he ended up saying something very different from that. I don't know. What I do know is that Lemon got severely criticized by many Christians for saying what he said. Jesus, of course, was perfect when he was here on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, who knew no sin. Or 1 Peter 2.22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He committed no sin. If Jesus wasn't without sin, then he couldn't have been our substitute on the cross. He couldn't have died the death that we deserve to die and suffered the hell that we deserve to suffer. He couldn't have given us or imputed to us his righteousness in exchange for our sins. And therefore, we wouldn't be saved. Simply put, he could not be the world's savior if he also sinned. So, Lemon's mistake showed a fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus was. Well, he might be in good company. <laughs> Peter is certainly in danger of misunderstanding who Jesus is. I mean, he rightly understands that Jesus is both the Messiah and the Son of the living God. But he doesn't yet understand that the Messiah's mission in the world is not to rescue God's people Israel from political oppression and suffering under the evil Roman Empire, but to rescue them and the rest of the world from its sins, which means rescuing them from God's wrath, which means rescuing them from an eternity separated from God in hell. In other words, Jesus came to solve a problem that was infinitely greater than any mere political problem. That's why in verse 21, Matthew says that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be 
raised. His substitutionary death on the cross is what makes possible our salvation. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Another way of putting it, Christ lived the life we were unable to live, and he died the death, that God-forsaken death that we deserved to die. Christ experienced hell itself on the cross so that we who believe in him won't have to. So Peter also misunderstands an important part of who Jesus is. So let's go easy on Don Lemon. Let's have compassion on him. The truth is he probably just believes what most of the world believes about Jesus, that Jesus was some kind of great moral teacher. And who can blame him? Do unto others, judge not lest ye be judged. Consider the lilies how they grow. Let him who is without sin, the good Samaritan, the Beatitudes, the prodigal son, We must forgive 70 times, seven times. These teachings are so obviously powerful and influential, it's hard to deny that Jesus is, at the very least, a great moral teacher. The world wants to convince us that that was all he is. Uh, Many years ago, I took a philosophy class at Georgia Tech. The professor, at the end of the semester was handing out course evaluation forms. Course evaluations give students the opportunity to judge the professor, to to grade the professor, and to give feedback on how, what they thought, what we thought of the class. And as this professor was handing out the evaluation forms, he said, out of the blue, often when I receive evaluations from students, they complain that I'm anti-Christian. This, is, this always surprises me. I love Christianity. I couldn't be more sympathetic with it. I mean, I don't believe it's literally true. I mean, I consider Jesus's teachings true in the same way that the, the teachings of the Buddha are true. And this professor undoubtedly thought that he was paying Jesus a great compliment by saying this, because after all, he would agree that Jesus is a great moral teacher. Except, if Jesus isn't also God's only begotten Son, the Messiah sent to save people from their sins, the second person of the Trinity, then he can't be a great moral teacher teacher. C.S. Lewis made this point beautifully in his book, Mere Christianity. Lewis said Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. (laughs) There's nothing in between. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I guess my philosophy professor hasn't read C.S. Lewis, but he went on to say that, that for him, it all comes down to the resurrection. My professor said, I don't believe that Jesus was literally resurrected. To this professor's credit, he gets to the heart of the matter. He rightly understood that if Jesus was literally resurrected, the way that all Christians say he was, then all bets are off. If Jesus was literally resurrected, then even this very skeptical professor would have to concede that Jesus was no mere teacher. If he was literally resurrected, then Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the world's Savior. Indeed, if Jesus was resurrected, then Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. Therefore, everything Jesus said, everything he taught, everything he did, as recorded, as recorded in God's Word, the Bible, is 100% true. Now, I know, I know some Modern-day Methodists like to tell us that the Bible isn't completely trustworthy. There are at least certain verses or certain passages or certain parts of Scripture that can't be trusted. Well, that's not what Jesus himself believed about the Bible. He taught that it was completely trustworthy. He taught that God is its ultimate author. And if Jesus is God, as demonstrated by his literal resurrection, then are you telling me that Jesus doesn't have the power to make sure that his word, this book that bears witness to him and to his gospel, is telling the truth? It's crazy when you think about it. I don't mean to be a smart aleck, but given a choice between trusting what some modern-day Methodists believe about the Bible and what the man who was resurrected believed about the Bible, I think I'll stick with the man who was resurrected. How about you? Again, even the most hardened skeptics and atheists, like my philosophy professor, understand this truth. If Jesus was the resurrected Lord, then that changes everything about our lives. If Jesus was the resurrected Lord, then nothing about our lives should be the same. It ought to change everything. And here's my reason for bringing this up. We easily and often look down on the Don Lemons of the world. We judge them. We get angry at them. I do sometimes because I, because I passionately disagree with their particular answer to the most important question that any human being in the world who's ever lived has to answer. And we find it in verse 15. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? There is no more important question. We all have to answer that question for ourselves. So if Jesus asks me, who do you say that I am? I'm going to say, 
you're the resurrected Lord. You're the one to whom I owe my life and all that I have and all that I am. You are everything to me, Lord. I'll do anything for you. And yet, (laughs) believing all of that, can I claim that my life is as different as it ought to be because I believe Jesus was resurrected. Therefore, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. Therefore, I believe that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. Therefore, I believe that everything Jesus did and everything he taught is true. Therefore, I need to listen to him. Therefore, I need to believe his word. I ought to listen to Jesus and believe him, for example, when he says that through faith in him, I'm a beloved child of God, adopted into God's family, that my heavenly father loves me even as much as he loves his only begotten son, Jesus, that nothing will ever separate me from his great love. I ought to listen to Jesus and believe him, for example, when he tells me that I have nothing to prove to my heavenly Father, that all my sins, past, present, and future, are nailed to the cross and forgiven, that that confessed sin is also forgotten sin. So I have no need to feel guilty anymore, that God isn't mad at me, that God isn't disappointed in me, that I don't have to earn his love because he loves me without condition. In fact, that God wants to show me his favor, that he's working to make sure that everything that happens to me right now, even the bad stuff, will be transformed for my ultimate good. I need to listen to Jesus and believe him, for example, when he tells me not to worry, not to be anxious about anything, (laughs) that I'm so valuable to my heavenly Father that every hair on my head is numbered even as they mostly turn gray. They're still numbered. (laughs) And that not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from my Father's will. And that, to say the least, my Father loves me more than many sparrows. I need to listen to Jesus and believe him, for example, when he tells me that my Father will supply all my needs, that he will always care for me and protect me, that he delights in me and he delights in giving me more of his spirit, more of, his Je- more of, more of Jesus and more of himself. Dear Lord, transform my heart so that I can live my life in a way that's consistent with the things that your Son told me, tells us in His Word. Instead of just falling back into the same old patterns of the rest of the world. Because if Jesus is who I say he is, if Jesus is who we say he is, then it should change everything about how we live. Many years ago, the magician and comedian Penn Gillette, who is one half of the comedy magic duo Penn and Teller, you might have seen them on late night TV 
Um, Penn Gillette, he's the one that talks. His partner is silent, but Penn Gillette is the spokesman, and he posted a video on his blog about an experience that he had one time signing autographs after a show that he and Teller did in Las Vegas. Uh, this, was in a, this was several years ago, but he was describing an event that had just happened to him the night before. Um, now, for context, here's an important fact. Gillette is an outspoken atheist, and he's happy to talk about it. He talks about it a lot. And anyway, he was signing autographs after this show when a Christian businessman came up to him and told him that he was a fan, that he had enjoyed the show. Then this Christian gave Gillette the gift of a Bible. The man said, listen, I know you're not a believer, but I want to give you this and I want to encourage you to read it because Jesus is everything to me and, and I want you to know Jesus too. I want you to have eternal life like I have eternal life. Uh, so please read this book. And you can see in the video that Gillette, a hardened atheist, was deeply moved by this gift and by this man's words. Tears were welling up in his eyes as he was describing this experience. This outspoken atheist went on to say that he appreciates Christians who proselytize, that is, Christians who try to convert other people to the faith. We would say Christians who witness, who bear witness for Christ, Christians who evangelize. But he said he appreciates Christians who, were, who are bold enough to share the gospel with him, even when they witness to outspoken atheists like himself. In fact, and this is what got me, <laughs> He said he doesn't have any respect for Christians who aren't willing to tell others about Jesus. He said, if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to hit you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And eternal life, he said, is more important than that. How much do you have to hate somebody? Okay, I get it. The word hate is, is far too strong. But, but I hope you see his point. <laughs> would, we, would we rather avoid social awkwardness, as he calls it, rather than witness and to warn people that apart from knowing Christ, something infinitely worse than a fast approaching truck is on its way? final judgment, and that time is running out to change our eternal destiny. If Jesus is who we say he is, 
Isn't our failure to witness nothing less than a failure to love? Do we love people enough to tell them about Jesus? Do we love people enough to tell them, no matter what the cost, to tell them how they can be saved? If not, why not? There is nothing more important that other people need to know. And I'm preaching to myself, too. I I didn't tell you the punchline of my experience with that philosophy professor a couple of decades ago, um, back in college. After he finished telling us that he didn't believe that Jesus was literally resurrected, he said, but after all, how many of you believe that Jesus was literally resurrected? And I looked around this class. There were 30 or 40 other students, some of whom at least were surely Christians like me. And no one spoke up. No one said a word, including a a certain future Methodist minister named Brent. If Jesus is who we say he is, how can we remain silent? That memory in philosophy class, it haunts me. I'm ashamed of it. I mean, I've repented, believe me, and I wish I could go back in time because I would handle it differently. Because who knows who in that class needed to hear my witness that day? Who knows whether my words would have made a difference, an eternal difference? Who knows if my witness, if I had the boldness to say, yes, I believe in the literal resurrection, and you should too, and let me tell you why. If I had the boldness to do that, who knows if that would have emboldened other Christians in the class that day. I worry that our silence effectively tells people to stay away from the kingdom of God, to keep out the doors of God's kingdom are locked And we don't care enough about you to unlock them and open them for you. Indeed, this is what Jesus is talking about in verse 19 of today's scripture when he tells Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I know that that binding and loosing language is strange. But he's simply referring to what the Apostle Peter himself would do at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when he preached the gospel, thereby unlocking the doors of the kingdom to repentant Jews. Or in Acts chapter 8 when he and the Apostle John unlocked the doors of the kingdom to repentant Jews. Samaritans, or in Acts chapter 10, when Peter unlocked the doors of the kingdom to repentant Gentiles. That responsibility to to use the keys to unlock the doors of the kingdom now falls to all churches everywhere made up of all believers who say, along with Peter, that Jesus is the Messiah 
and Son of the living God. Who do you say that Jesus is? Dear Lord, may our actions live up to our words. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in the Toccoa, Georgia area, I hope that you will come and worship with us at Toccoa First. We have live in-person worship every week and we also have online worship. Please see toccoafirstumc.org for more information.